Good morning. Oh, come on, we can do better. Good morning. All right. I am so glad you're here. God's glad to be here today. Hey, we got Easter coming up uh, in just a, I mean, it's oh, March 31st. Easter will be here. So we provided some of these um, guest invite cards for you um, to invite some folks to Easter services. You know, they say that one out of four people will come to, especially an Easter service, if they're invited by someone that they trust and that they have a relationship with. So I just want to encourage all of us, let's, let's pack this place for Jesus, right? Well, let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for the opportunity, Lord, to just be around your word. And God, I pray that we would treat this one day that you've given us, God, to worship you. We're looking for you, God. We're looking for miracles. We're looking, God, for where you're moving. We're looking, God, for where you're leading us. We want to hear your voice in the midst of the context of the world where there's so much chaos and division. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. Thank you, God, that you care about us. And as we go through this series together, Lord, I just ask that our ears, our eyes be open, Lord, to what you have for us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen, amen. We are in the middle of a series called Money Talks, um, as you've seen. Uh, We don't talk about money all the time, but I just... It was on my heart to do some teaching out of the Word of God. Not a, I just want to be very open and honest with you this morning once again that um, it's not about more money for the church. That's not what this is about. I want us to be really good at managing money. I mean, God's people should be the ones that manage the best that we possibly can with good biblical principles, right? So, um, so that's what this series is about. Um, if you have your Bibles ready, we're going to be in Philippians 4. We'll also be in Ecclesiastes 4. So that's easy to remember this morning. Chapter four, both those books have those ready. Um, There was a man that came and asked God, how long is a million years to you, God? And he said, it's my son, one second. I said, God, what is a million dollars to you? He said, son, that's easy. It's it's just a penny to me. Can I have one of your pennies? God says, sure, just one second. I don't think I'll use that second hour, Pastor Brian. That didn't. I was hoping that wake us up a little bit. I know it's cold out. It's, you know, rain's coming. We're a little sleepy. Um, I just um, wanted to share opening up uh, where I wanted to go this morning, where I believe God is taking us in the Word, and that is um, when I came to Mission Viejo Christian Church many, many years ago. Um, this city is absolutely unique. Um, our city. Don't you just love our city? I love the fact that we get to live here. It's such a wonderful place. Well, um, when I started just praying about things, about the church and just, God, what do you want? This is your church. I want your people to love you, God, and love people. And Lord, your vision, we want your vision for the church. We don't want any man-made kind of ideas and slick slogans and stuff. Lord, what do you want? And I read a book years ago called um, That None Should Perish. It's written about a guy from Argentina. And he was kind of the Billy Graham of Argentina. He would have these huge rallies. He'd see thousands of people come to Jesus. It's just an amazing, amazing time. And so in this book, it talked about praying for your city. And I've always been like, gosh, I love Mission Viejo, but Lord, give me a passion. Give me a heart, God, for the city, the people that live here. And so um, as I started praying and asking the Lord, according to what the book says, God is into cities. He loves people. He loves the people of the city. Would you agree? And so um, when I was reading that book, I just started to become more real and fresh and just alive within me, God, that you want the whole city of Mission Viejo to know about you. I mean, I believe the greatest gift that God gave us was the gift of salvation. 
the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, in relationship. And so with all that, as we started praying, it became very evident here at MVCC, um, Lord, where's the, like, the breakthrough? Where is like God, you just busting through the heavens and miracles and signs and wonders and showing people that you're alive and real and the resurrected Jesus in spirit in all of us is all of a sudden he's making a difference in the community and people are getting saved and people are going back to church and we're seeing the whole city affected by Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, where is that? And as I was reading this book, it became evident. He talked about there are good things that you can do to help people grow in the Lord and find Jesus and church being really healthy. And part of that is, you know, teaching the word of God that has to be there. You have to have a spirit, you know, a spirit of love in the church where people just love people, right? And then facilities help, especially with children and students and ministries and adult ministries and helping everybody grow in their walk with the Lord. And then we get to send everybody out to be like Jesus to to everybody in the world. But there's a missing component that was just laid on my heart, and that is the spiritual strongholds that might be over the city that are holding back a breakthrough from God. Are you, are you with me? Okay, so I asked our, we had at the time, we had some prayer partners, uh, prayer team, and um, I said, would you guys please take two weeks and would you pray? Because I really wanna know, God, I really wanna know what are the spiritual strongholds over Mission Viejo that are holding us back from really breaking through and loving Jesus and making an impact in our community. And so would you take two weeks and would you just pray about the Lord identifying what those strongholds are? Because I believe every city has them. Every household has them. Even churches, unfortunately, may have some strongholds that are holding us back from really loving Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay, so um, they came back after the two weeks. We had just a little powwow meeting and they said, um, Mike, this is what we really sensed that God, and they all came from uh, praying separately, and this is what we really felt like the Lord was saying to my heart. There are four strongholds, and it's amazing how when there's unity and agreement in prayer, God speaks mightily. And they said, these are the four areas we believe that are strongholds holding back the church, meaning the big C church, from really breaking through and making a difference. Pride, would you agree? There's a lot of pride here. Um, Lust, we got a huge problem. We don't want to talk about that, right? We don't like talking about that, but that's a huge problem. Um, Apathy, just kind of getting complacent about things that really matter, spiritual things. And here's the fourth one, which I want to talk about today. The fourth one was identified as greed. Pride, greed, lust, and apathy. Those are the four major strongholds over the city of Mission Viejo. And so um, as soon as they said that, I thought, Yes. So we're going to go to the four corners of the city. We're going to get all of our prayer partners. We're going to pray over the city. We're going to ask God to come. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth, Lord. Wake up the city of Mission Viejo. And the Lord said, no, we're not doing that like that. Because I need to work this stuff out in you, Pastor Mike. And then we got to work this stuff out of the church. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... Then I will heal from, hear from heaven. Then I will heal their land. How many of you believe we need our nation to be healed? We need our communities healed. We need our schools, our families healed, right? So it's not magic. I mean, I will confess to you, just open and honest. I just want God to just throw the dust down and it just happens. But God always, in scripture, he always partners with his people. He brings someone who says, or a group of people who say, Lord, I will do whatever you want. And so I'm asking us, 
I'm asking us to see God like we've never sought him before. And in this area of greed, and I'm a product of this place. I'm going to tell you, this message is really hard for me. This one is on contentment. I don't like contentment because I'm a striver. I'm like type A. I like want the next rung of the ladder. I want, you know, more souls. I want bigger buildings. I want more people. I want more, more, more Jesus for you. And the Lord says, I want to teach you about contentment. This is one area that I struggle with. It's hard for me. I don't know if it's hard for you. Maybe this is just for me this morning, but that's okay. I need to hear this. There will always be err. There will always be richer, smarter, faster, healthier, skinnier, happier, uh, hipper. And that's not a word, but um, then there's the est. There will always be est, richest, prettiest, smartest, skinniest. There's no win with the comparison game, is there? Absolutely no win. And the opposite is discontentment. I want us to be able to learn the secret of being content. You know, they say the top three reasons that couples get divorced in America are communication problems, finances, and intimacy. Those are the top three reasons for divorce in our America, in our, in our country. Solomon, who was the wisest man on the face of the earth in the Bible, he asked God for one thing, one thing. He was a king of Israel. He was David's son. He was going to take the baton and build the temple of God so people could come and worship there. And he asked God for one thing. He said, God, I want wisdom because I want to rule well. And God blessed him not only with wisdom, but he blessed him with finances and possessions and the ability to be successful. In today's currency, they say that Solomon made $2,000 per minute. That's how rich he was. But there is no winner. Even Solomon in the Bible wrote these words. In Ecclesiastes chapter four, verses four through eight. Then I observed that the most that most people are motivated by success because they envy their neighbors. But this too is meaningless, like the chasing after the wind. Fools fold their idle hands and lead them to ruin. And yet better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case of a man who is all alone without a child or a brother that, who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all so meaningless and depressing. Now, I don't want this message to be depressing, but what I want us to key in on is chasing after more and more and more and more stuff or more money as the priority of life. It's all like chasing the wind. So my question is, how much is really enough? How much is really enough? Can I really be content? You know, they say that millennials in the 20 to 30 year category of people, they're saying those that get married, the millennials that are, they're getting married later. They're having kids later. Because they see, I believe, the chaos that's in the world are not really sure about bringing people into the world, little ones into this world. And I think, just in my own observation is, I think the millennials have seen some of our generation coming up behind them, and they see the striving, they see the more, more, more chasing the wind, and they don't see us as happy and content. And they're saying, I don't want to go down that same road. Would you agree? So why does this happen? Why do we struggle with being content? Well, social media doesn't help, does it? Social media is a trap. Some of it can be because it's about what's this person doing or how much do they have? And I want to be like them. And how come my life's not like them? And 
But the second reason is I believe the real enemy of our souls is after us. He's after our life. He's after us being seeking after God. He's after everything that Jesus wants us to have. And that's where I want to go today out of Philippians chapter four. There is a secret of being content. There is a secret of learning to be content. How many of you here want to just be more content? Because chasing after the wind, it's tiring, is it? It takes a lot of energy. It, it, it does a lot to us on the inside and outside. And I don't want to be chasing after stuff. I mean, there's only so many, so many rich cars and so many jacuzzis and so much to go around. And at the end of the day, what really fulfills our heart? The Apostle Paul who wrote this in Philippians chapter 4, and he was such a, such a man of God. He was, such a, he was such a seeker of Jesus and what Jesus wanted. It's really interesting. He wrote this little letter in Philip, uh, he started, I'm sorry, he started this church in Philippi, and then 10 years later, he wrote this letter to them. So Paul was on the edge. I like to think of this guy as just, he was on the, always on the edge for God. He would just tenaciously follow Jesus, and whatever Jesus wanted him to do, he was all in. And as he writes this letter to the group of people at the Philippian uh, city, he writes this with love in his heart, and passion, not only for the people, but for the entire city, the entire region of Philippi to come to know Jesus Christ. And here's what he writes. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. That's the wrong verse. I'm sorry. Should be four. I'm sorry. No, 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 it's right. I was getting it mixed up with Ecclesiastes. I'm sorry. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned, here it is, to be content whatever the circumstances. I got to stop right there and say, that's hard. Because a lot of the circumstances in life, I don't like them, right? Are you going through something now? Or maybe you've been through something, or maybe you're going to go through something and maybe not sure. And Lord, I don't like this, but God, I want to be content and trust you. He says this, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. So Paul knew what it meant to have everything in the world. He had it all. He had success. He had notoriety. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had Roman citizenship. He knew the scripture. He was actually on mission to destroy the church, thinking that that was a service to God. And then Jesus meets him and changes his whole life. I have learned the secret of being content in any way in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. By the way, this is a real popular verse. We probably know this by heart. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That is not to be in the gymnasium, in the weight room, where I can just, I can do this through God's strength. The context of that is I can learn the secret of being content, and I can do this through Jesus Christ. That's the context, right? So how many of you want to be more content? I I hope this is just resonating with you. And Paul says, look, I have learned this. Paul wasn't an expert in this, but I'm learning how to be more content. So what does all this mean? out of this context of Philippians 4. This means chasing after the wind, we'll never catch it. We'll never catch it, will we? And the second thing that I see out of this text, really clear, 
really clear is that contentment can be learned. Contentment can be learned. It's something we can learn to do well. So I don't know if you heard about the farmer that uh, he had a beautiful farm. I mean, 40 plus acres for 30 years he had this place. It was beautiful. One day he decided to sell it because he just, he just wanted something different. He wanted something bigger and better. And so he called a local real estate agent to come over and walk the property. And they talked for a while. And then as they put together the ad that was going to go out on social media, it listed as this ideal location, 55 acres of land, four barns, gorgeous home on this beautiful property, <clears throat> streams, rivers, and ponds. And as the, they had completed this ad, the farmer spoke up and stopped him and grabbed his hand. And he said, hold everything. I've been looking for a place like this all my life. I think, isn't that the way with all of us? What is the secret of being content? The centerpiece is Jesus. It's Jesus. It's knowing him and being content with what we have. Out of this Bible, these Bible verses in, in, in Philippians chapter four, God made it absolutely crystal clear. The word of God tells us, number one, that he wants us to remember to rejoice. He wants us to remember to rejoice. Does that mean I have to rejoice in my circumstance? Does that mean I have to rejoice in what's happening to me? No. It means God wants us to rejoice in him. Well, what are we rejoicing in the fact? The fact is that God loves you and he knows you. He knows every hair on your head. He has a purpose and a plan for your life. He loves you. He's personally involved in us. And he wants us to rejoice in the fact that no matter what happens in life, no matter what life throws at me, whatever the enemy is going to bring, we can remember to rejoice in the Lord always. So how do we do that? How do we put in place something that reminds us to rejoice? I don't know if you're like me, but I forget a lot. <laughs> I forget a lot of things. And that's why I need to be reminded, remember to rejoice. So on my playlist, on my phone, I have certain worship songs that when I start to focus on the things that I see in the natural, the things that are happening to me, I will pick out some songs that just really speak to my heart. I have some Bible verses that I've plastered on three by five cards in different areas of my, my, my bedroom where as soon as I walk in, I see the scripture. Um, so most of the time I will play on the Bible app. I will actually play, I will have the voice recording of the scripture. So I'm just getting that word in. Because getting the word in reminds me, Lord, I rejoice in you. I have so much, God, that I'm thankful for. But God, number one, I'm thankful for you. That's what Paul was trying to teach the Philippian people. They were going through persecution like none other. They were, there was, the, the, the government was against the church, was against believers, was against Christianity. And they were going through it. And God said through Paul, through this word, he says, I want you to remember, remember to rejoice. And number two is this, I have to stop myself, condition myself, if I really want to live more content, to refuse to chase after the wind. So I have to make a decision. I am not going to be moved by the trap of more. I'm not going to be moved by bigger, better, faster, more. I'm just not going to let it rule my life. So I know the one who knows What's best for me? That's Jesus. Jesus knows what's best. So Mike, stop comparing. Stop comparing yourself to other situations, other people. 
I want you to run the race that I gave you. Does this make sense? We all do it, don't we? We all covet stuff from our neighbor. In fact, it's in Exodus chapter 20. God said it was so serious. He called it sin. I don't want you to do this. Because if we let covetousness rule our life, it wars against the one thing that God wants for us, and that's to be content with what we have. This um, couple went into their friend's home, and they just remodeled everything, and just an amazing, amazing home. And as they walked in, they saw the flooring, saw the backyard, saw the beautiful windows, the furniture. And as they got into the car that night, after they had left that dinner, got into the car and they drove away, his wife said, honey, did you see their furniture? And it went back to Louis the 15th. Did you hear what they were saying? He says, yeah, and ours goes back to Ikea on the 15th. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with admiring. Nothing wrong with liking things. It's just when those things drive us and we are, we are so focused on getting what we want. I can walk away from that situation thanking God I don't have those payments. You know, I get to enjoy other people's things. I don't want to worry about my boat. I don't worry about the boat that I have because I don't have one. (laughs) Sometimes the quest for more stuff, I got to maintain it. I got to figure out where to store it. And then what we do is we buy storage or rent storage facilities to store the stuff that we don't even know we have. And then it's acquiring for more and more and more and more just leads to a dead end road, doesn't it? So number three, what I believe the text is telling us to do, God is saying, I want you to recognize the good things that we have from God, the good things. God wants us to enjoy what we have. We have a lot here in South County. We have so much. When uh, I first became a Christian, when I gave my life to the Lord, um, I was quickly moved into a context of just all in for Jesus. There was a group of high school students that we just, man, we just, they just love God. And I was quickly swept up into that in a good way. And as they were just seeking the Lord, they said, hey, do you want to go down to Mexico? We're going to build a house for some needy people across the border. I said, yeah, sure. I mean, I was just so in love with God. I was so thankful for what God had done. It saved my soul and changed my life. I was like, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. When we crossed that border over Mexico and we got to the village or the uh, small town where we were and, and all the lumber had been bought and all the materials. That week of building that home for a family that was living under a tarp, it did something not only for that family through Jesus, but it did something down here. When I came back over the border, I saw Orange County in a whole new context. So thankful for the things that I had taken for granted. Running water, clean streets, schools that we could go to, clothes on my back, friends that I had, income, medical care in our, in our, in our area here that we so easily say, well, that's just always been around. When um, we took a group to Africa years, many uh, few years ago, um, we went on a mission trip, a two-week mission trip. And I remember being there. And one thing I will never forget is 25 kids in a dirt lot with mud and no grass or anything. And they had one soccer ball. And they played for hours as we threw the soccer ball out and played with them. I will never forget the, for- the faces that they had. I will never forget what I saw in their heart, that they were so thankful for one soccer ball. I was so convicted because I had been in a place 
and still struggle with a place of striving for more of what the world offers. You know, God said he wants us to be so filled with his spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, the evidence of his spirit indwelling in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And when he talked about having joy, I believe when we have true joy on the inside because Jesus, you're all I have, you're all I need, that there's something called thankfulness and recognizing those good things that we have that just naturally starts to happen. The fourth thing that I believe God is speaking to us this morning in the OC is about receiving his joy. Why are we joyful? What's really down on the engine room? If, if, it's, if it's this drive number one to be successful, and we read about the fact there's nothing wrong with wanting to be successful. There's nothing wrong with wanting to do well and prosper. God gives us gifts and talents to do that. But when that becomes the driving force of our life, we miss the fact that just knowing Jesus is the greatest joy we can ever have. Jesus gives us joy down on the inside. Knowing that we are loved by God, no matter what happens to us, no matter what, even if we stray off the path, even if we lose our way, even if we get caught up in stuff that we never should have got caught up with, God always, always loves us. And that brings joy. I, I, I also, I'm grateful the fact that we are saved. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, man, we are saved. We are sanctified. We are made holy by the blood of Jesus God actually pours into us his righteousness. And when we stand before him, we stand before him covered by the grace of Jesus. No one can take that away from us. That's one of the secrets, I believe, of being content is knowing that you are loved by God. We are saved by Jesus Christ. And no one can take that from us. No one can take your salvation from you. No one can take the love of God from you. No one can take God's approval from you. No one can take away the fact that you are a son, you are a daughter of God. You have been bought with a price and no one, not even Satan himself, can take that away. When we really step into letting joy be the centerpiece because of what Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us, seeing people come to Jesus is one of the greatest things ever. I know that you've been praying for certain people to come to know God. I know that you've been loving people, serving them, being a good example before them. And it seems like, Doesn't it seem like it just takes so, so long for some people? And before I get into a judgmental attitude about that, I have to remember it took me a long time. I I think I turned down the gospel four or five times before I accepted Jesus. And, And so God calls a little thing called patience. But when they do come to the Lord, man, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like seeing one of your family members or friends give your give their life to Jesus Christ. I have, um, as you do, we live in a neighborhood. We all live in some type of neighborhood. And when Laura and I prayed for a neighborhood to move into, we prayed, God, put us in a neighborhood full of heathens. Put us in a neighborhood full of non-believers. We weren't praying for like, you know, put Christians on one side or the other of us and across the street. We just want to have this nice little community of Christian people. Lord, put us in the midst of whoever you want to, Lord, but we want to win as many people as we can to you. So, um... I remember um, one of our neighbors had these crazy parties on Halloween, and he'd bring in a band. He'd like, and we have small houses. He'd bring in like, invite like a hundred people. I mean, the place was just nuts. And so um, I remember smelling the aroma. 
that was coming over from, my, from his backyard to my backyard. We call it in Hawaii, Pakalolo's marijuana pot. And there was something within me that was, gosh, that smells. I hate that smell. It's just yuck. But then I had to remember, God loves this guy. He loves his, this husband and wife next door to me. God, you placed us here. So he came over that night when this party was just raging. It was going crazy. And he said, hey, man, is it being too loud? I said, no, absolutely not. It's totally fine. Everything's great. <laughs> and I've just been praying and praying and praying for him. And I will tell you, after 10, 12 years of praying, I have not seen one step forward, one step forward for Matt to come to Jesus. I've invited him three times to Easter services, and there's just nothing, no movement at all. I was going out to my mailbox one day, and I struck up a conversation with him. He was out at his mailbox and said, hey, man, how's things going? He said, oh, man, I'm going to the Lakers game, and I'm not really happy about it. You're not happy about going to the Lakers game? He says, yeah, I have to go to take clients. I don't really like going. Man, you get to go where you're sitting. Oh, we sit about halfway up. You sit like halfway up? I'm like, that common ground of Lakers is maybe a place of commonality where God's going to open up a door for him to receive Jesus Christ into his life. I don't know how, I don't know when, but because I believe prayer opens up the heart of a person and Lord just being available to love somebody in Jesus' name and telling them their face, no, you can have the loudest parties you want, man, even though I don't like it. Whatever God can use, I believe Matt and his wife is gonna come to Jesus Christ. I don't know when, I don't know how, but I believe it's gonna happen. And that brings joy into life. That's the source of what our joy is from. It's not about making more and having more. Again, nothing wrong with having nice things as long as those things don't have us. Seeing God's people grow, that brings joy. And seeing your life change, seeing you become, us together, become more like Jesus. I heard um, some of our families were in line at uh, Chick-fil-A over off Lake Forest in El Toro. And the word got out that there were some friends who went, well, I'll just say they went to our church, part of our church family. And they called one another on the cell phone, either texting or calling. And they said, why don't we pay for the person behind us? And we won't say a word. Man, I love that stuff. Just seeing how God can move through the simplest of things. And really at the end of the day, we never know. We never know when Jesus is coming back, but he's coming and I want to be ready. I'm always like, Lord, this is one Sunday we have, and I want to make the most of every opportunity, God, because this may be the last Sunday we have before you come, Jesus. And we want to be ready. We want to be people that look like him. I've figured there's only one thing that we can take into eternity. This is where the joy comes from. Relationships. It's all we can take into eternity. Relationship with God and relationship with one another. People. We, you and I together, don't have to be chasing after the wind. We don't have to chase after what we'll never find at the end of that road. Many have a lot to live on, but not something to live for. I was thinking about that. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 26, Jesus said it best. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? As I was putting this together, I just want to wind this down. I didn't like it. Because I found myself really convicted 
about how I have a lack of contentment in my life. And I want to do better at this. I started tracking backwards into my life and thinking about things that I've bought, things that I've done. And I thought, man, I can do better at this. I want to do better at this. And Paul gave us the secret of knowing true contentment. I don't have to have it. I don't have to buy it, even though I like it or want it. God, I'm content with what I have. I don't have to strive. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here, and we'll see you next time.